Welcome back, folks. It's Mark Steiner right here on The Mark Steiner Show on your source for cool jazz and more. WEAA 80.9 FM, the voice of the community. We have covered uh, issues around transportation for as long as the show has been on the air because it's vital to the future of the city. We know that in Baltimore itself there are um, the majority of population in the city takes transportation, uses it one way or another inside the city. Uh, and we also understand that, 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 that and for 55% of Baltimoreans, it's the only way to get around uh, in, in Baltimore. Uh, there's always been complaints about the way transportation works. There's a fight now in City Hall over student passes, the ability of students to take uh, the buses and the rail around the city. Uh, there have always been issues of whether or not getting a single uh, pass, a single way to take buses and transportation around this town. Of course, the biggest controversies have been when Governor Hogan canceled the red line. Uh, all those years in waiting and the money that was going to be spent on that. Instead, Governor Hogan put in the Baltimore Link. So we're going to talk about the juxtaposition of those and what is happening with Baltimore Link that has when we first started covering it, I had a huge amount of critique and criticism from many people in the community. We'll see what that is at the moment. And we'll also look at that in the context of our overall transportation system, what is possible. Uh, we are here with Jimmy Rouse, who is president of the Baltimore Transit Campaign and a founder of uh, Transit Choices. Good to have you back in the studio, Jimmy. Welcome. Thank you, Mark. Sammy Jordan's back with us again, president of Baltimore Transit Equity Coalition. Good to have you in the studio, Sam. Very good. Very good. Thank you, Mark. And Denise Griffin-Johnson joins us. She also works for the Baltimore Transportation Equity Coalition. She and I were on a panel last week, and she said, can I join the panel? I said, well, sure, why not? So, Denise, welcome. Good to have you with us. Good morning. <laughs> good morning. And you all can join us here at 410-319-8888. You can write to us here at talk at steinershow.org by email. You can tweet us at Mark Steiner. You can log on to our Facebook page, uh, pages. 410 uh, And we really want to hear from all the folks out there who listen to us every day uh, and hear what you have to say about your experiences on transportation. What are your ideas about what we need in this city? Uh, and we know the average time, according to the piece that Transit Choice has put out, we've also known this the piece is called How to Create a Great Public Transit and Transform Baltimore, uh, that for many people going to work, it's a minimum of 90 minutes on the bus back and forth where you have to go, which is an absurd amount of time. We also know from our conversations last week, earlier this week, that, uh, that when you're driving in the, in the Baltimore now has some of the worst traffic congestion of any city in America, number two actually in the nation. So do join us with your thoughts at 410-319-8888. But let me start with you, Jimmy. And just talk about Baltimore Link because Baltimore Transit Campaign has, been, has had this ongoing relationship with MTA and the discussion on Baltimore Link that many people critiqued when I ran those panels for you for the uh, mayor's race and the city council races. There were a lot of critiques of the Baltimore Link and what it was not going to do for working people in Baltimore. Talk a bit about where you think we are. Let me what? get you closer to that mic so we can all hear Well, um, Good. so Transit Choices has put out a brochure, How to Create Great Public Transit and Transform Baltimore. Baltimore lags behind in its public transit system in comparison to the cities near us, Washington and Philadelphia and New York and Boston, and other great cities in the, in the country, Chicago, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Portland, even Houston and Atlanta are developing good transit systems, but Baltimore lags behind. And so what do we do about that? And why, why is it necessary to do anything? Uh, Harvard did a study in 2015 about patterns of poverty in America. 
and they came to the conclusion that the number one obstacle for people rising out of poverty was neither poor education or crime, but poor transit connections to job opportunities, educational opportunities, health care, even healthy food. So we very much see that in Baltimore. The Opportunity Collaborative did a study, uh, which they released shortly after the April disturbances, that they're a branch of the Baltimore Metropolitan Council, which is where all transit dollars from the federal government go before they're distributed in the state. They did a study which detailed by map that it was 90 minutes for the average citizen living in East and West Baltimore to get to a living wage job one way, and that's if the bus showed up. Because MTAs had a policy of taking buses off the routes because of driver absenteeism and um, maintenance issues. They haven't had enough buses to run all the routes on any given day. They're working on that now, but that's been a problem. So in addition to that, for the last 12 years, college, the college Town does a survey of outgoing college students. And they've said that the number one obstacle to living in Baltimore is poor public transit. And these are the millennials. These are the people we want to keep in the city. But they're saying they don't want to live in Baltimore because they want to live in a city where they don't need a car for both economic and environmental reasons. And Baltimore doesn't provide that opportunity. So to help people rise out of poverty, to give people access to jobs, to keep millennials, this is key to why we need to improve our transit system. So that's the starting point for me, Mark. Sam? Well, we have a starting point too, Mark, and I think you mentioned it first. And that is we have already uh, prepared and we have already gotten funded and planned a transit system that would work for Baltimore and the region. That's the Baltimore Red Line Project that was uh, approved uh, to the tune of $900 million from the federal government, another $1.235 billion from the state's Transportation Trust Fund. So the money was in place when Governor Hogan uh, was elected and frankly had no heavy lifting to do whatsoever. All he had to do was let that process run its course and frankly back in October we would have been building the red line. 10,000 jobs, reduced commute times, uh, fantastic economic growth and connectivity that would bring another 250,000 jobs within the reach of Baltimoreans along that corridor. So we have a plan. We, it was approved. In fact, there is no other plan out there like this. This is the largest public infrastructural project in Baltimore's history. Where we are now, though, is a peculiar retreat. So our job, and I'll talk about our mission and our vision, of course, the Baltimore Transit Equity Coalition, but what we're trying to do is get the transit advocacy community, policymakers, and uh, leaders in the city and region to understand that if Baltimore is to be among the leading cities of the nation, it needs, and this is our vision, an equitable modern transportation system anchored by rail transit. Rail transit has proven to be the most technologically appropriate mass transit system in the country. In fact, 77 ballot measures over the last year, 55 of which were passed, supported transit in some of those 
uh, communities, jurisdictions were actually even taxing themselves. But our mission then, and I'll just mention uh, this, is to build and lead an informed, resolute regional constituency that will demand and pursue the completion of the red line. I'll talk, of course, uh, about the Title VI uh, complaint. You know, I'm a named complainant there. We'll talk as well about what constitutes a proportionate response to the governor's decision and cancellation of the Red Line project. So I do want to come back to that because there's, there's a lot of issues with that that I, I want to get to as well. And, and Denise Johnson, you, I mean, you know that b- before we come back to some of the heart of where we're going with all this, um, in our last, when we were together last at that conference at UMBC, uh, last week, you would describe yourself as a West Baltimore woman who's grown up there, lived there. This is your life is there, and as an organizer and more. So, uh, talk about that. Talk about your, the, the where we are with transportation wise from that perspective. Yeah. So th- that, that perspective is really a human perspective. Um, and uh, Sam and the other gentleman, um, Jimmy Rouse, yeah, yeah, mentioned uh, data and sort of like uh, research and raw facts. And so, at the bottom of that is. Uh, the question uh, that I ask, and it's more like a cultural question in terms of why would uh, we not want improved transportation to improve the quality of life for the citizens uh, in Baltimore? And in particular, um, those folks that uh, may not have the disposable resources to access a car or may not be able to uh, drive depending on health reasons and other reasons. And to think about um, those families that may have multiple children that need to go to work, that need to drop their children off at uh, child care to try to get to work, uh, students that are trying to get to school, end up uh, being late for school and being penalized because the bus was late and therefore they were late. And... Um, that to me is a human cultural factor in terms of why would we not want to support the quality of life for citizens that are contributing to our society. And so that's the advocacy piece that I bring in working with the coalition is the human stories of the challenges and obstacles to um having the life that you're trying to work towards, your hopes and your dreams, and being able to support family life, along with civic engagement. That's the other piece of transportation. When you talk about civic engagement, you want folks to come out, participate in our democracy. But it's a little challenging when you have to ride the bus to different locations to be able to participate, along with the time that you have already spent each day. Okay. Trying to get back and forth on the bus. So let, let me let me let's tackle this bit by bit. And and, and Michael and Hank and you, the first callers up. There's another caller coming in here. We'll get you as well on the line here. But so there are seem you all have raised very different issues here. One is the red line, which some people think we should fight for. Sam and others. Absolutely. Other people think it's dead. There's nothing you can do because, especially in this administration, they're not going to even push the LDF um, complaint because of the new administration. We can argue that out in a minute, where, where that will take us. What is a reality at the moment is Governor Hogan's LINK program. So what does LINK do for us? Let's start there. Does it do any? We have a city where 36% of households have no car. 
36% of people in the city do not own an automobile. That, that's a lot of people without, without transportation. That's true, Mark. So, so the question is, what, what does Link do for us? Let's, let, let's look at the Link thing. This, so, so Governor Hogan's response was to take those billions of dollars away and put in $175 million. Do I have that number right? 135. 135, not even 70. Over six years. Uh, over, oh, 135 over six years for Baltimore Link. So, and, and but what is that? There's been a lot of critique about that. Let me hear from your perspective for the moment about Link before we jump into anything else. So where does Link take us? So, and then, uh, and then we'll come back over here. Okay. Um, the Baltimore bus routes were determined by the old streetcar routes and have been in existence since before World War II and have never been changed. There's a definite need to revamp our bus system. And patterns of population have changed. Locations of jobs have changed. So Hogan's offer to revamp the bus system is actually a good, a positive thing. So it doesn't replace the red line. If you look at an overall transit system, it's got to be multimodal. Every city that has good transit has rail, has buses. In Baltimore, we have the opportunity for a water taxi. Bikes are becoming increasingly important and pedestrian. We got to think about all those modes together. What Sam is advocating for building a constituency to see that the rail gets built is great, you know, and important. And it's not, even though it might be dead with this governor, we have to be working now if we're ever going to get a rail system. So I agree with what his point is and what he's advocating for. But we've chosen the route of working more pragmatically in the present with trying to improve to make sure that the Baltimore Link system meets its stated goals, which are to better connect people to jobs in a fast and efficient manner and to rearrange all the routes in the city. Every route in the city is going to change next summer. To rearrange all those routes so that people have, are better connected to their schools, to their jobs, and that's what we've been working with the MTA on. So I can go on and what we've been doing. I want to hear about that. We want to get to what okay. you've been doing. but Right. We have a spin on that, too, and, and briefly, Mark. That is, uh, we've actually been – we're sort of falling for a misrepresentation in that uh, in October of 2015, the governor, I believe, said that he would uh, uh, develop a transformative approach to transit. We don't need the red line. It was a boondoggle. You would expect someone who called it a boondoggle will show us how to manage the economy, how to manage a transit dollar. He's failed at that miserably. But what we do have is this Baltimore link. Uh, actually, some figures are that it's $165 million over six years. But nevertheless, it's peanuts compared to the loss of the red line project. In fact, the Baltimore Link is but a rebranding and a continuation of a program begun under O'Malley called the uh, Bus Network Improvement Program, BNIP, with a few uh, twists and turns and a new and a few painted but buses. O'Malley didn't get anywhere with it either. He right, didn't, right. He well, didn't with do the, anything. We don't really. want to talk about that. That's not my focus that f because that's their job. That's MTA's job to improve the bus system. We support our coalition, the Baltimore Transit Equity Coalition, supports improvements in the bus system. We support the improvements of other modes of transportation. What we're saying is that a modern transportation system in a city the size of Baltimore, like so many other cities that have moved ahead on this issue around the nation, 
they're anchored by rail transit. Why? Because, in, the, in fact, in the industry, the mantra is development follows rail. Buses follow development. That's been true in Seattle, Portland, Boston, Denver, Orlando, Dallas, and Charlotte particularly. Charlotte is important because the former transportation secretary, Anthony Fox, is the mayor of Charlotte, North Carolina, was the mayor. Charlotte is 809,000 people, almost a third uh, the size uh, greater than Baltimore, and he pioneered its uh, development, its modernization with the light rail transit system. So we know that transit works. In fact, it's the best technology available to us. So the Baltimore Link Project, uh, we could criticize it. We could see a thousand things wrong with it. In fact, our coalition members attend each of those meetings. We have at least two people at each of those meetings. The point is to understand it, but not to be misled by it. What we're seeking is a proportionate response. If I take your lunch, Mark, at the, in the playground, kick you in the stomach, take your food, <laughs> okay, like I've done so many times in the past, <laughs> you wouldn't go home and kick your dog. That's not a proportionate response. You've got to turn around and face the issue. That, um, and so we got, um, so please hold on. But I mean, the red line and what happened to the red line the times in this program over the last bunch of years about the red line of the city and of this much fault on. That was, if we look at just, let me just take the bus, the, 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 but the question is, how do you create a system that actually works? Because right now we, I mean, I, I, I've heard a lot of arguments back and forth about the, 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 the link not really answering the needs of people. We talked a bit about it in the green room, um, to have this mass, this, this fast bus system that would go through the city, which would mean stops every two or three blocks, not every block. Um, so they can move fast. I had to do it in Bogota, Colombia, and other places. Uh, they even have a better system in Colombia, but in South America. But so, so systems. So, would this system improve the ability of people? And at what level? Are you talking across, about Link, or are you talking about? Uh, I'm talking about Link. No, um, it's been clear that Link is more of a. Um, I'll use Sam's word, a uh, rebranding. But wait, wait, before you say that, but don't we, we, we need to revamp the bus system. That has to happen in Baltimore. That's, that has to happen. That's it never been in dispute, Mark. Commute times, though. The Baltimore Link is not going to decrease commute times for those that use public transportation. I think that is the primary piece of Link not being new, not being... So wait, 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 I just, just, just for time sake, just why I'm interrupting everybody, and not to be rude... Uh, but why do you say it won't improve the times? I want to hear what Jimmy has to say about that, too, right after that. Why do you say it wouldn't improve the times? Um, the information that is um, out in the public and, and, and those members of the Transportation Coalition that participates in the meeting have been able to see and hear that the link bus system is not going to decrease commute time that buses, there will be some uh, bus lines that will be discontinued. Um, and then, of course, all of the painting and the signage, signage and music and things like that. But um, nothing about decreasing commute times for folks that okay. drive public transportation. So let me turn to Jimmy. That, that's, that's a major question. So talk a bit about that. So From your the, perspective. the MTA would disagree with that. And what we're doing now is looking at different metrics to measure what Baltimore Link is 
is going to accomplish with its present route alignment. And the MTA has an unbelievable number of metrics, some 40 different metrics. They're based on computer models and the data that they've collected about where people get on and where people get off. And it's absolutely a goal of the link to decrease commute times for people. In addition, I mean, they're, they're adding routes so that people can go from Towson to Owings Mills, you know, which presently no route exists. You have to come into the city and go back out. So they're, they're adding bus routes that uh, act like a beltway system um, to help people get the jobs. But, but it's our job as transit choices and as citizens of Baltimore to hold MTA to their stated goals. We, we, the, the, the routes for um, the Baltimore Link have been pretty much determined now. We've been through uh, a four- or five-stage process of dialogue with the MTA where they've come out with changes each time trying to satisfy all the complaints that we've brought in about the, the alignment of the system. And at the last meeting, I have to say, there were 20-some groups in the room and they stood up and they applauded Kevin Quinton and his team for the work they've done. I think the guys at the MTA are absolutely sincere about wanting to create a better bus system. Oh, and I agree. Uh, you know, we all have good intentions. Uh, I definitely don't disagree with, with that. So what is the stated amount of commute, commute yeah, time? I think uh, yeah, I would simply reinforce it's, it's important that uh, Baltimore Lincoln MTA and Kevin Quinn, the new hero, have goals. Are they meeting them? And are they getting people where they need to go? We, well, you see, there's is the question. right, How can and you and this commute time when you have a lot of car congestion in the city. And that's an issue. You see, they they have been talking about reduced commute times. Kevin Quinn stopped talking about reduced commute times at about fifty-two minutes in terms of a. a Commute. In fact, uh, Jimmy, I'm sort of uh, hoping he would reemphasize his own booklet from Transit Choices. Ninety minutes, less than one out of three jobs in Baltimore can be accessed in ninety minutes. We have a term called transit detention. That ninety minutes, that three hours per day, you are held uh, against your will, wasting precious time because of a dysfunctional transit system. We, we want to put a number on that. And what we've done is taken a look at the number of people, an estimate, and that number might grow. About twenty to 25,000 people are taking commutes in the city over 45 minutes. It can be as long as an hour and a half. When you look at that and, and take that number down uh, and multiply it out through the year to extrapolate and see what it costs, Baltimore is losing about 250 to 270 million dollars per year on people who are missing buses, buses are bunched and they can't get on a bus, or the commute is so circuitous that it takes 90 minutes. That's a loss so, that we can't afford. Uh, so th- that's, I'm going to get back to what we were talking about again, Jimmy, with the, with, with the conversations with the governor's folks. So what, what, what's the reality that you're learning about the wait time and how it's going to be cut down for I mean, the, the bus times. That's, that's always been a big issue with you. Well, uh, it's, it's an ongoing process, us looking into this and getting the MTA to respond. We still have six months before the system actually rolls out. 
the, their ability to change routes decreases with time because of all the logistical issues. Right. But we're looking at, at the rollout in 2017, and the MTA is in total agreement with us. It's not a one-time rollout. It's an organic process. So it'll roll out in 2017. There'll be winners and losers. It's important that we collect data from the losers and work to keep improving the system. So it's an organic effort to keep improving Baltimore's bus system to help all of the citizens of Baltimore and all the neighborhoods of Baltimore. That's what we as citizens should be striving to achieve with Baltimore Link. So I, one of the questions I have, I want to open the phones as soon as we come back from this break, but one of the things I want to ask you about, one of the things that was in this Link pro, in Link was um, the uh, question of ending congestion, in other words, making up for, for the buses so that cars would be banned from certain areas at certain times in the city. The city has to approve that. That's got to be a city issue as well. I mean, how is that, is that going to happen? We, we've seen the kind of the bike lanes and, and the issues around this. Women, we, we're going to have to take a short break. I'll let Jimmy let you come back with that. But we're going to come back and go right to the phones. And Michael and Hank, we're going to get to your calls and back to our guests. 410-319-8888, the future transportation in our city. Just the first of many conversations over the next several months. Stay with us. Welcome back, folks. This is the Mark Steiner Show. We're looking at transportation this hour. Reminding you, the Mark Steiner Show is brought to you in part by MeQ, Baltimore's credit union, offering a full range of financial services. MeQ, Baltimore's credit union, has been helping its members and its community prosper for 80 years. When you invest in yourself, MeQ invests in you. Remember, it's a credit union, not just a bank. belongs to you, and money comes back in the end. More information at www.mecu.com or steinershow.org is MeQ, Baltimore Credit Union's banner. We are here with Jimmy Rouse, uh, founding member of Transit Choices and president of the Baltimore Transit Campaign, Samuel Jordan, president of the Baltimore Transit Equity Coalition, and Denise Johnson, who is part of the Equity Coalition as well. And you all at 410-319-8888. Let's go to the phones. And Michael, line three, you're on the air. Hello? You're on the air. Michael, line three, you're on the air. Uh, My question is, I'm a bus rider and a train rider. I catch the bus train seven days a week. Uh, buses don't show, uh, trains delay, uh, they get to the train stops, they say we sit here five or ten minutes because we're single tracking. And at the time that they're single tracking, and you, of course you don't know that until you get on the train, but in the meantime, while you're single tracking, waiting for these trains to go by, you're missing the connecting bus that you get the train to get. They don't hold those buses up. And I find myself personally, uh, sometimes out on the corner for an hour waiting for a bus. And you call the 539-5000 number, mm-hmm. uh, you, you get no response. I mean, they take the report, but you don't hear anything from MTA. And I, I can say in the last year, two years, I might have put in 100, 200 complaints. And I have not had one letter or no one from MTA call me back. And, of course, the ladies who take the complaint, they can only tell you what they can tell you. But it, it's, I've asked for supervisors to be out on stations or bus stops. It doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. What I do see at 11.30 at night when I'm getting home from work, supervisors out on corners that I don't know why they're out there, but they should be in the stations. There should be a supervisor who is able to get to any station or be at a station if there's any concerns or complaints from the citizens. You I know, just don't see it. So what was the last thing you said, Michael? I said there should be supervisors out at these stations who, in case there's any complaints or anything going up to the citizens, but when you ask them to come out, they don't. They never show, or they say well, we can't get a supervisor out, 
or it's, it's always an excuse. Uh, and I'm speaking for me and anybody else who rides the train or buses. It's always a problem with these buses. They late, they don't show up, or they go out of service, and and you just you, you stay there waiting and waiting, and you, and you call the five three nine number, and you still don't get an answer from anybody. Okay, so let me let me let both of our guests make sure they guests in the studio first, Sam and, and Jimmy. Right. I want to just mention uh, to Michael, we in a, in the Baltimore Transit Equity Equity Coalition certainly. Uh, empathize with your situation. In fact, that's what we hear when we do outreach at uh, Baltimore and Howard, Fayette and Charles. We talk to people who are riders, and they give us their experiences. Some of them are horrific, like yours, in the sense that what you're talking about is our transit detention concept. There's time that's being wasted, lost, that's not being compensated for you and your family. In fact, in a meeting, uh, we've, we've mentioned this. Paul Comfort, for example, Never is standing at 11.30 at night at the bus stop with two screaming children, hungry and sleepy, trying to get them home, get fed, get to bed, and then start all over at 6 o'clock the next morning. Only poor African-American and Hispanic and uh, transit-dependent households live like that in Baltimore. We want to make sure because that's an equity component. That's the equity component. issue here facing us all the time. In fact, uh, 55% of MTA's ridership is transit dependent. These are people who have no other choice. And what we understand is, as studies have shown, when you know that you're planning a system for poor black people, you plan in a very different way than when you're planning that system for rich white people. Let's not forget that the governor made this decision about canceling the red line after he toured the uprising zone in Baltimore. This is still Freddie Gray's Baltimore. His first decision was to build a $30 million prison for youth. His second was to take up to $36 million out of the education budget. His third decision was to cancel the red line. His fourth decision was to give the money that was due to the red line, had been allocated, and distribute that money in uh, highway and roads projects in rural areas of the city largely populated by his constituents, who are largely uh, whites in Maryland. So we have this issue. That's why we have the Title VI complaint. But your issue, we want to collect these stories. One of the things that we appreciate about Denise and our coalition is she's insistent that we collect these stories because there is a culture of poor service for many, too many, experiencing through uh, the Baltimore Link program and what's happening in the bus system. So, Jimmy, going back to Link, so how, do they respond to issues like this in Link? What, well, what are your thoughts I, on I'm totally sympathetic with Michael, and I don't disagree with anything Sam said. I mean, the reason I'm involved in this is to, to well, it, it started when I had a restaurant downtown at Louie's uh, from 1981 to 1998. Which many of us still miss. I, I had um, 95 employees, and I had a, a lot of them were coming from East and West Baltimore. And I had to end up firing people because they could not get to work on time. And we, we had a strict rule, 15 minutes late three times, and you're out of a job. And these were people who wanted to work and were good employees, but they could not get their kids to school and get down to Louis downtown 
in a timely manner. That's what sensitized me to this whole issue, seeing their plight, Mm -hmm. seeing that people would have to come an hour ahead of time just to make sure they got there and they would be standing out in the rain for an hour because they so much wanted their job. They didn't want to be late, you know, and and it's it's terrible. And that's the human story of uh, transportation in, in Baltimore, which for me is a, a, a cultural story, um, simply because I've had to uh, catch the bus. Sometimes I choose to catch the bus, and I have a choice. And when I choose to catch the bus, another uh, very good example is... Um, North East North Avenue and Merlin Avenue, and the 13 line going west. Lots of people are out there. So I'm getting on the bus, it's like 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and I'm thinking it's going to be easy because, you know, it's non-peak time. There's so many people out there. Three buses come, they're full of people, and they just ride on by and unable to get on the bus and then have to wait uh, for the next bus. That is part of the human story, part of having to wait another 45 minutes, whether it's raining, whatever it's doing. Even when I have to leave out early in the morning and to see a young woman with children on the bus stop at nighttime, meaning the sun hasn't um, come up yet, trying to drop her children off to get to work. That is a cultural human story about our quality of life and the non-appreciation of our time that we used to be able to move around in our city. So we have a tweet in here from Theodore Bracey. He tweeted in the the picture shows that the city is only interested in making convenient for a selected amount of, of, of residents, bus routes also. And then we have Melissa tweeting in um, that uh, at Mark Steiner, Daily Rider, one car family, when will we get real-time info on all buses, when, capital, and what we have now lacks info on 65% of the buses. So back to Jimmy. I mean, so That's correct. And, and it's one of our goals is to have real-time data available for all buses so you can create a transit app, which actually will show you when that next bus is coming. And that is part of the Baltimore Link process, although they don't know at this point whether it will be ready at the beginning of the summer in 2017. But... That's definitely a goal, to create that transit app. So not only will you be able, at any location in the city, you will know what transit options are available to you, bus, rail, water taxi, and when the next arrival for each of those things would be. You can access that information. And that that doesn't solve the problem, but it helps relieve the problem because you don't have to go outside and wait for 30 minutes in the rain. At least you can you can gauge your time to when the bus is coming. That will help. It's not a solve. To solve the problem, you got to solve overcrowding so buses don't pass you by. You got to totally eliminate the process of pulling buses for maintenance and absentee issues. And I've talked to Paul Comfort sitting here like I'm sitting with you. Paul Comfort is? The head of the MTA. And he has guaranteed me that that's a goal and that they have already made an improvement on the amount of buses pulled on a given day. And the goal is 100% of buses will run on every route every day. So what's our job? Our job's to hold his feet to the fire. And he's ready for us to do that. We just got to do it. We got to collect all your stories. And 
run them back to the MTA and have the MTA collecting your stories. We got to increase the dialogue between user and administration. And that should be a goal. And that's that's part of what uh, uh, Transit Choice's goal is. So let me try to get a call in here. We'll come back to Sam. 410-319-8888. Uh, let's go to Glenn. You're on the air. Welcome. Hi. How are you, Mark? Very well. Good morning, Glenn. For full, I, for full disclosure, I am vice president of Baltimore Transit Equity Coalition. Uh-huh. But um, Jimmy said that with Baltimore Lake, there will be winners and losers. I want to know if the same communities are the ones that's losing um, that are historically um, underserved in their community. So what was the question? I'm sorry. He said, I, I said that there'd be winners and losers. Hopefully, I mean, what we're trying to create is a, a system that is equal for everybody, that serves all populations and all neighborhoods in the city. The 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 it's hard to tell where you're going to get pockets of people that are not adequately served. Just looking at the whole plan right now, the overview of the plan, we're trying to assess that, but I don't know that we'll be able to 100% until the plan actually rolls back out. That's a funny one right there. <laughs> That's a what? That's funny. How could it be hard to assess? Uh, the number of people when you already have demographics of, of the city and um, places where more people gather to, to to ride the bus. I mean, that information should already be there. And to be able to assess where the majority of people are gathering to board buses and exit buses throughout the day, I mean, I'm able to observe that by riding through the city. So, yeah, I'm laughing at that. I don't understand that. While it sounds good, um, I think uh, whoever's looking at the data, it's already there, and maybe some other eyes should look at the analysis of the data. That seems to be a no-brainer to me. So let me let Jimmy respond. I'm going to get back to Sam and get back to the phones as well. Uh, I'm not sure what I'm responding to. I had trouble here. Why, why don't they have that data? They do have. They do have a lot of data. They collect data where people get on, where people get off. But the data doesn't replace individual stories. No, but this is you know, and and what people are are um, actually experiencing. We need to we need to hear the individual stories, and we need to have those lines of communication open. Well, I put out a challenge to MTA based on the previous caller who stated, you know, um, standing and, and waiting for the bus and calling MTA and asking for a supervisor. I put out a challenge to MTA to go out in the city at locations where lots of people gather to get on the bus. And then they can determine wait time. They can determine how many buses go by that are full and doesn't allow other people to get on. I'll put that challenge out to MTA. And Sam, let me let you jump in so we can get into the phones here again. Yes, because, you know, again, you know, we began our discussion earlier in the program, Mark, with this notion of misrepresentation. The link bus system. Bus system is one mode and is only one part of an efficient transportation system. An efficient transportation system is multimodal, intermodal. There's connectivity and linkage. So we want improvements to the bus system. Michael's story, the caller earlier, that's all too common. 
In fact, when uh, Glenn asked about uh, winners and losers, who are the losers? We don't want to call anyone losers in this community, but the truth of the matter is Baltimore pioneered redlining. The communities that were impacted negatively by redlining, communities that were impacted negatively by the highway to nowhere, are still the communities all around the nation that are underserved by the public systems and public transportation. So what we're saying, again, if, if it can be clearer now, I'll try to do so. We need to face the issue that presented to us by the cancellation of the red line. Improve the... Baltimore bus system with the link. Fine. That's $165 million over six years. That is not what we lost. If something was taken from you and that was unjust, get it back. Retrieve it. That's what we need to do with this system that was planned 13 years. I spent six years of my own life planning the Baltimore uh, red line system, going to other cities, seeing their transit systems, coming back impressed with what we were going to do and got the approvals and were ready to do. When the governor uh, halts that process without consultation, without even a significant legitimate justification, as we've uh, alleged in our complaint, then we have to organize and fight back. Ours is a fight that can and we cannot walk away from a 10,000-job infrastructure project that will also bring reduced commute times, and Link is not talking about that that much. In fact, they're also not talking about attracting new riders to the system because that means actually attract, attracting another demographic to the system. And around the country, bus systems are stigmatized. Okay, some people would not be caught, you know, with an additional $100 paid to them to get on a bus in some places. That's because the bus systems around the country suffer so much underinvestment and disinvestment that they are automatically associated with the poor and with people of color. So you get people not using that system. We're saying, let's be for real. Let's take a look at it. What is pragmatic? What is equitable? And what is equitable is to treat the bus system as a mode that it is, but it is not a replacement for an east-west axis from Bayview in the east okay. to Woodlawn in the west uh, in 45 minutes. And I didn't, I didn't want to, I, I know there's a real kind of disconnect here, no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but I think there isn't a disconnect. I mean, I think that the things we're talking about here are, are not mutually exclusive. One is the reality there is a plan coming down from the state. If we don't have control of, is it going to do nothing for the citizens one more time? So we have to be control of it. The other one is a longer political struggle because the red line can, is not – we're not going to see a red line even come back for the next four years. In Given the struggle that we have, you have a Republican governor. You've got Trump's administration – that they're not going to push ahead with 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 uh, with that complaint, even though Obama waited till the very last minute before they even accepted the complaint, and now the complaint has been accepted, and now there's a new president. Our approach all along, Mark, has been that the Title VI complaint is a legalistic approach, and we can win the Title VI complaint. We can have uh, the U.S. Department of Transportation tell us that our allegations were sound, great. That gives us perhaps a pat on the back and right. some political heft, right. but we still have to build a red line. That is not building the red line. Building the red line is just what we've discussed. It requires building a resolute constituency that's informed, knows what we're up against, but knows what the region needs. Justice and common sense are on our side. 
everyone okay. who's looked at this issue, transit advocates and transit experts, of course, uh, have all found that rail transit is the key to Maryland's economic future. Let me, and I think I don't think you would disagree with that. I don't disagree with that at all, <laughs> and I I'm all for Sam's passion because <laughs> we need we need to build that constituent. Every, look at look at Washington, look at uh, Philadelphia, look at New York, look at Boston, look at San Francisco. They all have rail. Rail is key to creating a first class transit system in any city and anywhere in the world. So we need rail. We're not going to get it in the next four years, so let's work on what we can get because every day there are people out there who are not getting to work on time. We, we can't, can't afford to wait. Well, we can't so, wait. Uh, well, I've got to take my shot. I, 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 I have to – let me get to the phones here. We have tons of people calling. I promise this is a call-in show. Let's make it to the phones. <laughs> 410-319-8888. Let's go to Joanne. You're on the air. Good morning, Joanne. You'll join us. Do we have Joanne? Duane, you're on the air. Welcome. <laughs> All right, hold on, Duane. We'll try to come back to you. Let's go to Randy. Randy, you're on the air. Yes. Good morning. Good morning. Um, it, it one size fits all is a problem, I think, with the buses because sometimes there are huge accordion-like buses that have no one on them, maybe a few people, and often on some routes you never see a full bus. But so, is it possible to have like a smaller bus, um, a contingent of smaller buses for certain routes, because, um, um, you know, if you look at Hopkins, they have a lot of students going up and down, but they don't have huge buses. They have easily managed and, and maneuverable kind of vehicles on the road. Um, is that a possibility? Maybe you save money also. Thank you. Is that part of the plan? Yes, it is a possibility. It is being looked looked at. It's not an immediate part of Baltimore Link, but it's something that uh, MTA is exploring. I mean, I think the uh, that's part of the problem is we have not explored today, but in the future we can, which is, I mean, there is already a privatized bus system in Baltimore for all the universities with students that it's not, it's totally separate. So kids can take buses, don't have to deal with the transit system, and there's no connection here. I think that also is an issue. The main reason they do that, Mark, is for reliability and to be relieved of the uncertainty of the municipal transit system. Mm -hmm. So of 13 of the universities, six of them actually operate their own transit mm -hmm. systems, and they do that for reliability. Some say for safety, but definitely for reliability and convenience. They can get where they need to go when they need to do so at the shortest commute time it's it's a it's symbolic of the failure of our bus public transit system that six universities have to create their own transit system mm -hmm. let's go back to the phones of 410-319-8888 let's go to hank you're on the air welcome how are you doing today mr Steiner? very well hank um my, my question is this right mta had a proposal two three years ago about off-shooting from the buses for private contractors to pick up people to take them to the last mile, taking them home from like Liberty Road back down Brimbrook and all of these other little small streets where it was too far to walk, where there were no buses. Whatever happened to that plan of implementing that? And then they're taking off three, they're taking up almost 300 buses, these little short MTA buses that are, um, the people use for handicap. Right, which the city can very well lease out to private owners, right, get a ten percent 
bus charge two dollars for the hawk wise to go back to these little private spots or not private spots to the home dwellers or the business site where they can go ahead on and get an opportunity to make some money and create taxes where the state can relieve itself a little bit of pressure. And if Mr. Hogan was so intelligent, right, what he would have did was he would have went on the end while he was rebuilt in 695, put the light rail or whatever rail system around 695 as the beltway, right, and have off streets from that where people can be picked up and privately sent the couch to the top of starts where they have to go at forward. Uh, you know, what you what you recommended, Hank, is interesting because that I remember one of the very first shows we did on transportation was with a, a conservative urban think tank in New York City uh, back in the early 90s. That was one of their proposals was to allow private contractors to pick up people at bus stops to do that last link for people and get them out and create another system, attach that system that really helped working people. But that went nowhere. That was the Democrats' fault. They didn't want to hear what conservatives had to say when they actually had a really good idea about how to enhance the system that that we didn't want to listen to. So Uber is filling that role. Um, in some cities, Uber's running vans on routes and competing with public transit. Right, and what I would say to the folks who said that with the, the Uber folks is we've had an Uber system like that in the city for a long time. It's called Hacks. Yep. And we should, right. but, but Hacks have to do it illegally well, Uber is legal, mm-hmm. and right. Hacks have been doing it forever. Right. Right? I mean, Absolutely. so that, that's all. We always have right. this, you know? I mean, you, you criminalize <laughs> certain cultures. Right. And you absolutely uh, uh, sanctify others. Yeah, that's Theirs was, is clearly a, a national and international corporate. Uh, in fact, they do better than 80% of the companies in really the well. uh, Forbes 500. They do really well. And they well. haven't turned a, a profit yet. But, you know, when we speak about it, you know, we get back to our issue, the Baltimore Transit Equity Coalition. And I'm glad that uh, Minister Glenn Smith and Denise Johnson are on the air with us because we are capable. Baltimore is capable and the state is capable of uh, developing and preserving the political will. We know that, see, we weren't by ourselves developing the red line. In fact, we just found out we got a board yesterday with uh, 800 names of people who were participants in the planning, speaking at hearings, and with that constituency in Annapolis, we know that we've got to bring it back on the table and fight for it. We can't wait four years. We can't assume anything will happen in four years. Look what happened with Anthony Brown and Hillary Clinton. We can't assume anything. We have to deal with what we have. We don't know what the Trump administration will do. We have to pressure the Trump administration as we would anyone else for what Baltimore needs. So, Jimmy, let me just jump in here. I'm going to get through phones with that and, and, and let Dean Sack get a jump in here as well. What, what do you... Just, I'm just, this is, I mean, I, I wonder if, there's a, if there is a place where the, where the, where the, where, where the discussion meets. Yeah, and so... I, I don't see any conflict. I mean, I, right. I, we, we need to be working exactly what Sam's doing needs to be done. They both have to be happening. Yeah, they Absolutely. both have, to me, they both have to be happening. And we hadn't even talked about water taxi, bikes, uh, pedestrian... Circulator, all those things have to be happening too. We ha- we have to create a multimodal system, and we have a we have a great opportunity in Baltimore to do that because the water taxi could be a, a very important part of the system. The circulator already is, and we need to look at you know how that works in with a bus system. 
why should you have a free bus system and one that people have to pay for, you know, and, and what's the role of the free bus system? You have to look at that and examine it. So we need to be looking at all these things simultaneously, and rail is, is part of it. So and, did, and so, how do we how do we unite unite our voices around um, transit as opposed to and with uniting the the voices where the research already says that rail transportation is the best piece or an additional piece that adds to quality of life, adds to economic development, so on and so forth. How can rail be a part of that conversation in a big way? that's what we really need. I think an immediate thing on rail that we could be working for that we might be able to get the governor to buy into, and I think the city would buy into, is putting a streetcar to connect Mandalman across North Avenue to Broadway or Bel Air, uh, putting rails in the street, or if not bus rapid transit, across North Avenue and creating a really wonderfully functioning system on North Avenue, which would help development all along North Avenue. As Sam said earlier, development follows rail. So I'm in favor of a streetcar. I would love to see a streetcar across North Avenue. 30 seconds, Sam. How do we advocate for red lines? So I'm sorry, just a, a higher rail system as opposed to the trolley cars, let's say. I mean, that's the piece. Our work is about rebuilding the red line. So, I'm sorry, James, we're, really, we're, we're just plumb out of time. I was trying to give Sam here 30 seconds, but we're just out of time. Right. I'm, I'm certainly— Luke, you have 10 seconds. Thank you. Fine. <laughs> Our mission, we want to build and lead an informed, resolute, regional constituency that will demand and pursue the completion of the red line light rail project. S- Sam, I appreciate you being Sam Jordan is president of the of Baltimore Transit Echo Coalition. Denise Johnson is uh, an active member of the same coalition. Jimmy Rouse is president of the Baltimore Transit Campaign, a founding member of Transit Choices. We will come back to this issue over and over and over again, break it down those parts from red line to streetcars to everything else we need to do in this city. Until uh, the red and, line is built. And we look forward to having you all back again. Thank you all. Thank, Thank you everybody so much, Mark. on the show for the work they're doing to make our lives better in terms of transportation in the city, both politically and, and in terms of work you're doing. Appreciate it very much. Thank you so much. 